0: Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to C3 Corumbin's podcast. We want you to know that you are loved by a God who is love. So good to have you with us. Why don't you enjoy this week's sermon? Over the last six weeks, we've been speaking, or Pastor Dan has, primarily concerning the prayers that Paul prayed over the church. And uh, I was just thinking about these prayers. I'm just, uh, I'm into uh, uh, the sixth prayer, and then. Uh, Steve Godfrey next week is doing the seventh prayer, and seven is God's seal. Okay, that's six of us who understood that one. Okay, it's all good. But I was thinking a lot, lot about these prayers that Paul had prayed and the churches that he was actually praying to because there are three churches that he writes to while he's in prison. You know, you kind of figure that if you're in prison... You know, you haven't got a lot of great things to say, right? But here's Paul, because even though Paul is incarcerated, you cannot imprison the Word of God. There's actually a scripture that says that. And Paul actually says that even though I'm imprisoned, the Word of God is not imprisoned. Amen? And so he writes these letters. Three of them are to churches while he's in prison. One of them is a church that is under persecution. Another one he writes to, his, uh, or, or I should say, um, uh, three churches that he writes in prison, two churches uh, uh, under persecution, and one church lies at the very center of the empire of Rome. And so the significance of him writing these letters is that he is seeking to lift their gaze and help them realize something about themselves and something with respect to what God has got for them. Amen? So he writes these letters. These letters just don't go to Ephesus. This letter doesn't just go to Ephesus. We're in Ephesians. These letters are circulated through the churches all around Asia Minor. So they keep, everyone keeps getting their letters. And the great thing is that you and I get to read this letter today. Amen? Amen? And our world today is not too much different from his world back then. It was another turmoil. The church was undergoing persecution. One of the letters he writes, that's to Thessalonians, is a church that's undergoing incredible persecution. And he's writing to them saying, these are the things that I am praying for you, that you would understand this about yourself and who you are and what God has done for you. And so whilst you and I stand at this point of history, which is literally shaking up so many in this world, you and I stand with the same statements being made to you and I by God with respect to who we are in Him. He wanted to encourage the church. He wanted the church to have a bold, secure sense concerning the future the same way that you and I desire to have a bold secure confidence security with regard to our future God's got hold of us Amen You may not feel like it but it doesn't change what he has said So I'm going to repeat a couple of things that Pastor Dan said last week because The scriptures that I've been given is out of Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19 through uh, to 20. But to get it in its context, I have to go through verse 18. We'll get there in a minute. Before we do that, I want to read out of Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through to 10. Pastor Dan preached out of a prayer that Paul had prayed from verses 11 through to 15, I think it was, or 11 through to 13, it was. But this is what Paul says prior to that prayer. He says, "We So we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of His will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Right? To give you spiritual wisdom and and understanding, or revelation. It's in verse 10, this is our NLT uh, translation. It says, Then, you know, it's amazing how large doors swing on small hinges. Just an observation I've made, <laughs> right? But that little word, then, in the NLT, in the New American Standard, says, so we, right, That word, then, gives us some idea of what he's talking about. We have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you, this is speaking about you, complete knowledge of his will, to give you spiritual wisdom and revelation, then you will live... The way you live will always honor and please the Lord and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while, you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. When you and I have complete knowledge of His will, when we have spiritual wisdom or the New American Standard, says the spirit of wisdom or insight and understanding, then... When we have that, then. If we have that, then you and I will live our lives in a way that is living under the power of God. We'll live our lives in a way that produces good fruit. We'll live our lives in a way that while we are growing in His knowledge, we will grow stronger and stronger in Him. This is God's intention for us. What are these things that that Paul's praying? You know, he said this. He said, That when he wrote these letters, his idea was that he would actually uh, reveal truths and attributes that would become our lived experience, the foundation of how we live life, and the ethos that we bear in the church and that we carry within ourselves individually. This was God's intention, right? And this is what Paul's praying, so that we can live with a sense of divine security and boldness, and how we need that today. These attributes he speaks about, and we've covered many of them, wisdom, knowledge, understanding, revelation, power, love. This is what Paul is praying for the church, praying for each of us as individuals. Why is that so necessary? So you and I can negotiate the different things that we're encountering today, whatever they might be. There's so many different things that are seeking to Cause people to be divided within the context of our lives, rather than finding those things that unite us, that pull us together. And what God wants is so that we're not consumed with all the worries and the fears, etc., that are happening over this world, but rather we're consumed with Him. And the realization that He, God, can speak into your life and my life and cause us to have wisdom to negotiate the different situations we find ourselves in. Wisdom. The correct utilization of knowledge. That's what it means. This is what Paul's praying so that you and I would understand it. So now we're going to pick up out of Ephesians chapter 1, verses 16 through to 20. Paul says this, I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight. That word is actually revelation, so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope He has given to us, to those He has called His holy people, who are His rich and glorious inheritance. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in Him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead, seated Him in the realms of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. This is what he's praying for us who believe. Now when it says, that our hearts might be enlightened. And he's talking about the whole person, our mind, our emotions, our will, our spirit, that we might fully comprehend as a whole person what is being spoken. Now, he makes this statement. It says this. He says, I pray that the hearts, your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand that there is actually that you might know. The Greek word there is oida, which means that you will have a complete knowledge, a full knowledge. The other words where he's talking about knowledge is the word epignosis. In other words, that is the knowledge that is growing through our life experience. But this one here, he's praying that we would know, that we would have a full knowledge about what he is about to talk about. When he talks about this, the hope of his calling. You know, the thing is this, you know, when God calls us, it isn't just a casual thing. You know, I was walking uh, one day and, and I could hear, I thought it was my name being called. What? Right? But it wasn't. It was just a bird. Right? Just like those crows or those uh, carawongs, you know. It just sounded like those, Eric, Eric. And I'm looking around and, you know, but I didn't have a sense of calling. I just had that mixed up. But God has called us. He has called you. If you're here today, you're not here by accident. You didn't just get up this morning, fall over and thought, and found yourself rolling down here to Crummon. You made a defined choice, because God called you. God called you. You know people when they, you see people, they emit or they exhibit what you rev- that you understand as a calling. You can see teachers. Some people dispense information, and other people actually educate people. But you can see it in them. There's a calling. There's an inspiration inside of them. There's something that keeps ticking over on the inside. Well, I want to tell you, friends, God called you. I want you to understand something. It says that you might understand or know the hope of your calling. What's it talking about? If God called you, you and I can be confident that He is the one who holds us in the palm of His hand. This is what your hope and my hope is founded on this is what Paul is praying for in the church. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through to 12, Paul speaks about his journey into all of these things. That he realized that God chose him, that God predestinated him, that God was had an inheritance in him. He spoke to Paul and the other disciples that were with him as they grew in the knowledge of God. And we get to verse. Uh, 13 and 14, and he's talking about the fact that we have, this has been sealed in us, this inheritance has been sealed in us through the Holy Spirit. He's sealed the reality of that in us through the Holy Spirit. Now he's talking about that. Then he goes, he's talking about their journey, those disciples' journey. And then from verse 15, he begins to change from us to you talking about the church. This was our experience. This was our journey. And this is what God has for you. That you would know the hope of his calling. If God has called you, he is able to hold you. Hope. A confident anticipation of a great future or a confident expectation for good. That's what hope is. So when he says that you might know the hope, the confident expectation of a great future of your calling. God is calling people all over this world. Their names are on his lips. You might be here today and do not know Jesus, or you might be listening online and do not know Jesus, but I'm going to tell you your name is on his lips because He desires that none should perish, as Kama said this morning, none should perish, but that all should come to a saving encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. This is God's desire, that none should perish. That's His desire for you. That's His desire for your kids. That's His desire for your parents. That's His desire for your friends. That's His desire for your acquaintances. That's His desire for the people that you work with. That's His desire for the people you're in school with. It's the desire God has for all humankind. Whether we respond to Him or not is another thing, but that's His desire. That's what He's going for. That's why the church is so imperative that's why your voice and my voice is so imperative. That's why your prayers and my prayers are so imperative because God is using us to become the voice, His voice, calling people. His voice along with the Spirit of God calling people, calling people that they might know the hope of His calling. The hope of His calling. Yeah, you can get excited. It's all right. Okay? Amen. You gotta, if you're going to clap, we've got to make it count, right? So God, that's all right, Doris. You're doing well. I appreciate it. It's great having you with us. It's so wonderful to see your smile. Calling. What is it? Our personal call to service or to mission? Corporate call to salvation? In Hebrews 6, verses 18 through 19, it says this. This hope we have as an anchor that enters in through the veil where Jesus has gone before us. This hope, this is the hope that Paul's talking about. He wants us to have a revelation, a full knowledge of what that hope is. It isn't wishful thinking. It's the realization that if God called me, I'm encapsulated in that hope. That's what God has for us. Amen? Next thing he says this. That you might know the riches of of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. That we might know. What is He talking about? That you and I are His inheritance. And associated with that are these riches. What are these riches He's talking about? Well, let me read some of them to you. He's talking about the fact that this richness of grace has been afforded us. His goodness, His forbearance, His long suffering, His wisdom, His knowledge, His power. These are the riches of the hope of His inheritance in us, in the saints. Paul's prayer is that we would know these riches so that they would continue to encourage us and breathe into us a sense of security. God's got me. His wisdom is available to me. His long-suffering is available to me. His patience, His blessing, His favor, His grace, all available to us. D.L. Moody says this, that we might know the astonishingly high value God places on the saints because a lot of us, we somehow get caught up on the fact that we don't feel so great about ourselves. But I want to tell you that the value that God places on you is way beyond what you and I could ever allow ourselves to think. So great is the value that He placed on us. He sent His only begotten Son that we should not perish, but that we should have everlasting life. That's the value that God places on He wants us to know this. Why is that important? Because it gives us confidence that God is for us. Amen? When you get up and walk out of this place today, and you go back to whatever it is that your regular life is holding you in, God wants you to know these riches are available to you because you are of such high value to Him. You may have emotions that say the opposite, but I want to tell you emotions cannot be, you know, counted on. Emotions, uh, this is a a, a little word I've put together, emotions suck, all right? (laughs) It doesn't have a K, all right? It doesn't have a K. It's just an S-U-C, right? These are emotions. They are subjective. They are unreliable. And they are changeable. And our emotions do not always tell you and I the truth about ourselves, about God, about others, and about our future. Our emotions can tell us that we're going down with the ship, but Paul didn't go down with the ship, and nor will you, because God's got you, all right? that you and I might know the astonishing high value that God places on the saints, on us. Now we come to this third thing that Paul was praying for. He was praying that we might know the hope of our calling, that we might know the riches of the hope, or sorry, the riches of the glory of the inheritance of the saints, his holy ones. And that we might know the surpassing greatness of His power. This is in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19 through to 20, and this is out of the New American Standard. Paul's prayer, he's praying for these three things. We might know the hope of our calling. We might know the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, and we might know the surpassing greatness of His power toward us who believe that we might know it. The power that God has towards you and I to operate through us, in us, and over our circumstances. This same power that raised Jesus from the dead. This same power that enabled Jesus to undergo the crucifixion. This same power that enabled Him to be resurrected to life. This same power that enabled him to ascend to the right hand of God. This power, God wants you and I to know, is available to us, that we might know the surpassing greatness of power that he has towards us. Towards us, to every single one of us this morning. God wants you to know this power is available to you. This power is in you. If the Holy Ghost indwells you, I want to tell you, this power is in you. Jesus speaking to the church in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, He says, and you shall receive power. Dunamis, this is the same word. You shall receive this kind of power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Amen? I think that's something worth dancing now. I'll do my Irish one for you, but it's not St. Patrick's Day, so you'll have to come back another time. Amen? Amen. This is the surpassing greatness of His power toward us who believe. Who believe. Who believe. You know, sometimes I think that we take faith and we just mix it all up so that in the end we feel like it's our own emotions. We're really, trying to will something to happen. But faith is just simply this simple belief. I am persuaded. That's the word. Literally explain it. Faith. To us who believe. To us who are persuaded. God's for us. God's got us. Amen? In the New American Standard of that, ver- of that particular verse, he says this. That we might know what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might. He takes three adjectives to describe that power. This is what it is the working, that is an energetic or operative power that comes from God. And of the strength, that is Kratos, the power that overcomes resistance. That's operative in you and I. It's not just Dunamis. These are God's attributes being outworked in our work the context of this power. He says, and of his might, Iscus, that he, God alone, possesses and can make available to us and does. This is the power, the surpassing greatness of his power that is directed toward us who believe. So that you and I will not be thrown around by what is transpiring in this world, but rather that you and I would realize God has got us. He's empowered us. He's given us a hope. He has empowered us with riches and that He has given us the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives and sealed that inheritance in us. Sealed it in us. So we're not trying to convince ourselves about something that we actually know and experience that God has done this. If you've never been filled with the Holy Spirit, I want to say to you today, don't go home without it. Amen? The Spirit of God filling us with the evidence of speaking in a heavenly language. But it sounds like such gobbledygook. It may be to you, but not to God, because we're not just talking about a phonetic expression. We're talking about the heartbeat of a human being being articulated to a living God. When we can't describe what it is that's going on on the inside of us, the pain, the anguish, or the concern, God's given us a language through the Spirit that we can lay hold of Him and pray. Let's not go home without it. And let's not... Ignore it. Paul says, when I speak in the heavenly language, he's talking, he said, I build myself up in my most holy faith. I build myself up in God. Let's not leave it as something that transpired way back there when the church was birthed. Here we are, towards the end of the age, we should be praying in tongues more than ever. Amen? We should be building our faith up, our holy faith, building it up, speaking in tongues, praying it. Don't, obviously, well, it doesn't matter. You can walk down the street now and and be talking in it and no one cares. I just realised this, you know. I realised that, you know, I'm walking down the road and a person's going past and they're talking to me and I go to say hello and I realise they're actually talking on the phone. Talking to someone else, but they're not there. But it's just like talking to God, you know. You can walk around talking to God and no one can see them. They just think you're talking on the phone. Isn't that great? It's turned in our favor, right? <laughs> praying, talking to God. So let me conclude with this. I was reading a commentary out of the end of Press by, uh, on Ephesians. This guy, Francis Foulkes he makes this statement. I thought it was the most brilliant statement. He said this, talking about this prayer that Paul is praying. So I may conclude soon, or I, I am going to conclude in a moment. This is for the musicians, all right? There he is. <laughs> it was just a, it's just a joke between you and I. It's just, sorry. I just had to bring everyone else in. Oh, here comes Georgia. Also, where's the rest of them? Let's have a whole band. Come on. Let's get a whole band up here. Because we're going to go out with a worship song. I think we should go with that one that we finished with, don't you? It's just so magnificent. But let me read what Francis Fulk says concerning Paul's prayer. He says, The burden of the prayer, in fact, is that the mighty power of God may be known and experienced by its operation to usward who believe. This is the essence of the prayer that Paul's prayed for the church. This is the essence of what Pastor Dan was wanting and talking about, I pray, is that this would be your and my experience. There wouldn't just be words on the page, but that we would understand that God wants us to be secure in the knowledge of the hope of His calling. He called us. We responded. His hope indwells us. That you might also know the riches Of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. You're his inheritance. He's coming back for us. Amen? He's coming back for us. He knows your name. We know his. And that we might know the surpassing power, uh, surpassing greatness of his power by its operation. The burden of the prayer, in fact, is that the mighty power of God may be known in experience by its operation to us who believe. And I conclude with this scripture out of Ephesians 3, verse 20. Now all glory to God, who is able through His mighty power to work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. And when I was standing here this morning, I just had this real sense. There's people here, you're carrying burdens. We prayed for you this morning, but I want you to know that this scripture is for you. So that you're not weighed down by the weight of this thing. But you're engaged with God and He's for you. And this is what He's saying to you. Now all glory to God who is able through His mighty power at work within us, to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. who's able to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. That is, able to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. I want you to put your burden on that and realize that He can accomplish infinitely more than you can ask or think. Let your imagination run wild. Let yourself see that person that you thought could never come to Christ. Let your imagination see them walking down, you know, the the road to your house or walking into this church or, or encountering God in some form. Let your imagination go because that's what God wants to accomplish. Amen. That's what He wants to accomplish.